This is episode number 224 of the Rising Man podcast with Tony Bersunis. There is much more happening than the eye can see. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Jedi Azuma, and I'm the host here at the Rising Man podcast. Before we jump into today's episode and I introduce my guest, I want to invite you all to join us in our Rising Man Brotherhood. This is your opportunity to get tapped into the Rising Man community at a deeper level. Join us on all of our community calls, get connected with the men who are part of this movement all over the world. All you got to do is go to risingman.org brotherhood. You can either join our Spark community where you get to jump into our Telegram space and join us on every single community call we have. Or you can step into a fire circle and get assigned to your own fire circle team, your own band of brothers. Risingman.org slash brotherhood. It's all there for you. Just go ahead and get registered. All right. My guest today is Tony Bersunis. Tony was censored by Huffington Post in 2016 for covering the Democratic primary from the wrong perspective. His writings have nevertheless been published in both corporate and independent media. Red, White, and Blind is his second book. He lives in Sebastopol, California with his wife, son, and two dozen apple trees. In this episode, Tony and I dove into some very important and thought-provoking topics. We spoke about the fundamental issues with absolute truth, the intrinsic and extrinsic beliefs, wisdom that is passed down through our DNA. We talked about secondhand influences on children, filtering the media and other external influences through us as adults and into our children. We talked about understanding the inner workings and motivations of media influence and how to adapt with a well-balanced media diet, as Tony likes to say. We discussed the social instinct and why we cluster with like-minded people in order to survive, how this interacts with the desire to uncover truth. I put truth in quotation marks, truth. We talked about the emergence of the new enlightenment being facilitated by the internet and authority, establishing the freedom for each of us to explore the world for ourselves rather than having our lives defined by external influences and interests. This and so much more without further ado, Tony Bersunis. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing guest and a, a brother of mine, man that I've known for many years now. Can you believe it's been about 10 years we've known each other, Tony? I've got Tony Bersunis here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jenny. You want me to call you Jenny or Jared? It might be hard to call you Jared. But Ooh, I can now you're spilling all my dirty secrets. Oh, yeah, no. If, if you know me from my my days in Jared, yeah, that, that goes back to a whole other stage of life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's great that you know me that way, man. I love that. Um, so... Tony's here. He's about to be uh, publishing his second book um, called Red, White, and Blind. Um, you have such an amazing perspective, in my opinion, on and, and an outlook on the influences that we have coming in. So we're going to talk about all of that today. I'm really excited to get your perspectives and see how they can help the audience here at Rising Man. But before we jump into that, I always start off with this question, and that is, what does it mean to be a man? Oh, good question. Um, forgive me for being stumped here. What does it mean to be a man? Reminds me of that the documentary that just came out. What is a woman? It's like <laughs> you watch that, but a guy goes around and he like stumps everybody. Nobody knows what to say. Mm. Um, they finally decide a woman is a biological female. I think is what they come up with. Mm. Um, I think being a man, it's, you know, it's, there's several ways that I would use that term, you know, so for me, um, there's obviously the, the biological male definition. I think within my family, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband, and um, I feel my role as a man probably most, you know, most distinctly in those relationships um, in terms of looking out for my family and, uh, you know, giving my son the best environment in which to, to grow up. 
um, in those places, I feel feel the most like a man. Um, I think in writing this book, there's there's an element of it as well. Um, you know, I think there are plenty of women that have a really uh, you know incisive view of things, but maybe there's something. Maybe there's something as a man that I see. Um, I see a part of my my meaning is to go and figure out things to the best of my ability and share those with others. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that answer. And, and that's why I like to ask that question to start off is because my belief is that what it means to be a man is very subjective, which yeah. is why it's so confusing these days. Personally, I've asked every guest on my show the same question. And sometimes there's alignment in the answers, but oftentimes it's really clear that it's your definition, what you decide being a man looks like on this planet. And personally, I believe one of the places we've gotten ourselves into trouble is trying to identify a singular definition of what hmm. that means. And, and some people just recognizing that they don't fit into that box. I wonder if, you know, exploring this a little bit deeper, does, any, does that bring up anything for you? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it so it gets at, I think a real cultural question that we have, and it's it's probably an age-old philosophical scientific question about truth. You know, is is there is there something that is absolutely true, right? Is are men and women different, right? We're sort of coming to these questions from a different perspective, I think, in these this era, um, where there there is a sort of there is sort of an argument. I think there and there is this sort of cultural trend of men and women are the same. Men and women are you know, and, and gender is just whatever you think it is. And, and you can be whatever gender, you know, you decide and gender is different from sex. And I think that's where I would go with this conversation because it then will kind of, it, it kind of feeds into my book and in and, and the sense of how the media is managing these conversations and sort of wanting us to look at these things from a particular way. It's very powerful to have control over the narrative of something as basic as what men and women are and what a man is and what a woman is. Um, and to the extent that the media does have control over that, I think it's really important to bring consciousness to it. And because we make these we make these decisions, these choices as we go through life. You know, am I going to get married or not? Am I going to um, where am I going to live? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to have a family? Um, do I identify as male or female? Right? These you know these really big choices that we make. And like I was saying a minute ago, you know, in the sense we. I think we're already aware to some extent that there's these voices inside of our head that we can meditate and we can use psychology and therapy and sort of understand why do I have this voice inside my head that I'm, you know, not intelligent enough or good enough or, or beautiful enough or sexy enough to have my dreams. We have those, we have the awareness that those voices inside of our head are driving us. And so we meditate and we work on personal growth to sort of bring consciousness to those so that they don't run our lives and that's wonderful and that's great. And I try to do that in my life and I support that in all others. But what I wrote Red, White, and Blind for my book is to bring attention to another set of voices that are just as powerful, but I don't believe we bring enough consciousness to. And those are the voices from without, from outside. And, and in the United States, living as an American, the biggest voices are coming from the corporate media, you know, coming from CNN and NPR and Fox and MSNBC and New York Times telling us, you know, this particular way to think about these things, about whether we should have kids or not, where, you know, what's going on in the world, what the narrative is, you know, what's going on in Ukraine, uh, what a woman is, you know, all of these kinds of questions. Mm. Those voices are very powerful. And so 
that's where I would go with this conversation. And it goes, it does lead into sort of why I wrote the book, why I wrote Red, White and Blind. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's pick up there for a second, because I like the model you have of the, like the intrinsic voices that come from within and the external extrinsic voices that influence us. How do you see that happening? Cause in my, the way I, the way I interpret that is all those intrinsic voices or all those voices that I have in, inside my head that I identify as my own also seem to have originated outside of myself. It, it, whether it was my mom telling me something when I was a kid or something that always happened at family gatherings, the way we were as a, as a family or culturally where I grew up in New Jersey, playing baseball, being an athlete. It's like a lot of those external voices made it permeated the membrane and got inside of my head and then became this other thing inside my head that now seems like it's a part of me. I, I wonder just how you view that. Is there anything that you think is just purely intrinsic or is it all influences that seep their way in at some point? Um, wow. What another fascinating question, right? I mean, yeah, there are, there is certain inherent intrinsic knowledge and wisdom that we have that I think we've, you know, inherited from our genetics and, you know, mm -hmm. through the sort of collective unconscious and the collective consciousness and, and sort of that is passed down through thousands of years and like why, you know, even a baby already knows how to do a number of things. But I think for our conversation, it's probably fair to say the vast majority is sort of starts from without and comes within. It's just different era, right? So there's the era of when you're a little child and you don't really have much control over what what's coming in, right? And so at that point, that's when the superego gets brought into us. That's when we have these voices about our own particular self-worth and things like that. I think we grow up with, usually we struggle at some point in seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, like somewhere in there, we've all pro probably had some real crisis of identity. My, for me, it was like seventh grade. I was just miserable for like a year mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, and we probably have all had different times, but it's because we're starting to come to terms with that, like sort of the innocent way we went through our life and then and then coming into this more adult way of of seeing and how much pain there is and how much psychological trauma that we all have and we go through and things like that. Mm -hmm. So so I think that's, but that I think I would say forms what, you know, you were just calling the intrinsic voices. I think that those become the sort of super ego and the, the psychology that we can, you know, understand maybe through meditation or going on retreats and fasts and things and sort of get in touch with that internal thing. The extrinsic voices, I think, are still there and they're there every day, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's bringing consciousness to it. And maybe it's doing it a little earlier. You know, it's like, early, it's it's like you just use sort of it crosses the blood brain barrier, right? Like there's just these ideas out there. But once they cross into our brain, then they suddenly start to feel like our ideas. Mm -hmm. And so you bring consciousness to it before that. You sort of head it off at the past. It's like, okay, there's this value out. There's this narrative out there in the news saying, I don't know, this group of people are responsible for our problems, right? That's a common news narrative. It's this particular group or this particular issue. That's why we have problems. That's why there's, you know, inflation or, you know, homelessness or whatever, right? So before we sort of internalize that idea, if we have consciousness, and this is what I talk about in Red, White, and Blind, it's the idea of media consciousness. That's what I, that's what sort of the book is about. It's this path to media consciousness. It's like bringing consciousness and awareness to those voices in the media before we integrate them into our inner value system. Because once we we let them in, now suddenly there's an enemy and it's like, I'm a Democrat, so I hate the Republicans, or I'm a Republican, so I hate the Democrats, or I'm, you know, red and blue and the tribal thing. And 
and, and you know, or, or, I, or I didn't even really think that much about, you know, this controversial issue of like abortion or gun control or vaccines. But now I know I have to think this, otherwise my friends are going to shun me. So I better think that and, right. and hate everybody that does, you know, like all of that stuff starts to get revved up and spun up inside of us. But if we can bring some consciousness to it and be like, oh, so here's an article in the news or here's somebody on CNN saying this and not just listening, but thinking, why are they saying this? What do they want me to feel? You know, where does this come from? What sources behind might be making a lot of money if I think this way? You know, just sort of bringing something to that way. And suddenly there's this moment of consciousness before we integrate it into our own uh, values. Yeah. And I, the way I think of that is curiosity before at, before adopting something, before taking something and making it my own. Uh, I quote Bruce Lee on this show all the time because inevitably I find this quote to be really useful. He used to say, uh, take in everything, absorb what is useful and make it uniquely your own. And that's it. And then discard the rest, right? Yeah. Just, just let the rest go. And that, yeah. that's something that's not taught to us as kids or and not impressed upon us enough. I, I, when you were speaking, I was just thinking about the fact that we're both fathers and we both have young children, especially young boys, who, as I think about it right now, he's experiencing things that are shaping his world every single second of every day. Yeah. And it made me think, wow, what is he starting to believe about himself that's coming from some of these extrinsic forces, especially, I mean, I, I wonder how much he's influenced by the media. I don't know. It's something for me to think about it. I don't, I mean, he obviously doesn't read news, but he hears, it's probably more from conversation he overhears adults having, but I wonder how much that's actually being integrated. Do you, do you think about that too? Is, is your son still too young? So my son's five. Um, he, seems to pick up on a lot very quickly faster than i would have guessed (laughs) a little sponge um but i would say at this point he's not absorbing much directly from the media it's it's coming secondhand through us Mm. so if we give into fear you know if we believe like during the masks and the and and the, the covid stuff if if we were really worried about covid and really worried about putting masks on him at all times or something he might have absorbed that we didn't choose to do that. And so he didn't. There were a couple of times he wanted to wear a mask because he saw other kids doing it, you know. Um, and that's just one example, right? So so we could talk about, you know, 20 different narratives in the media. But I would say no. Media consciousness is is really for once you're at an age where you're reading sophisticated things and thinking about things in a sophisticated way. I think for different people that happens at different times might be, you know, 11 or 12. It might not be till you're 17 or 18. You know, it's probably somewhere in there um, where the media starts to affect you directly on your own. It might be a little younger. I, I should think about that, actually. It's true. I haven't thought about like where that sort of cutoff is. Um, it's new territory, right? Because yeah. obviously the access to to media is drastically different than it was for, that it is for our children as it was for us. I remember the six o'clock news and now it's 24 seven and there's. Well, and social media too is such a powerful part of it as well. And I, right. I spent a good chunk of red, white, and blind really delving into social media because it's in a way it's, it's both empowering people to, to, to sort of bring this media consciousness to share independent media articles with each other and to sort of, you know, hold up the news and, and sort of look at it from different perspectives and say, oh, here's a piece, like, I wonder what you think. But it's also doing kind of, it's also exacerbating the situation because it's allowing people to, yeah, be be affected by the media narratives at a much younger age when they start to just interact with their friends. And now suddenly it's like, 
you know, here's an article that you got to read and agree with. Um, well, for, for me, that brings up the conversation of what I think of as convenience or, or even apathy when it comes to this larger knowledge of what's happening on our planet. How much of that do you think is present for people where we're just, we're just adopting ideas without really informing ourselves um, by without really taking in all these multiple perspectives, like you said, and having that curiosity barrier between my, my brain and, and the rest of the world. And I, I guess just thinking of that barrier getting really, really thin and saying, okay, well, because I like this, this thing that these people tend to say, I start to adopt a lot of what they say. And before I know it, now I'm categorically linked to a, gr a group of people. Yeah. So that's, that's a great point. And that, that sort of gets to my other, so, so red, white, and why my book, it's about two thirds is sort of laying out how bad it is you know, in a sense, <laughs> like just going through all of the media distortion that we're subject to. So I start with like the Jeffrey Epstein story and why that was censored and why that was, you know, and then like I talk about the origin of COVID and why that was suppressed and, and just sort of delving into it and then go through a whole bunch of other different examples. But then when I get to, then I sort of don't want to leave people in this place of like, wow, we're really screwed. You know, the media is really just deceiving us. Fair. It's like, and a lot of people are like, I already knew that. Like, why do I have to write, read your book? Um, but I want to, I go there because I want people to know specifically how it happens. Not just like, oh yeah, the media is full of lies. It's like, well, that's fine. But to really understand it and to really, to really grasp what is going on and why and who's doing it is helpful because then I move into the, to, to the last third of the book. And that's when I talk about this idea of media consciousness. And the other thing that I talk about, sort of the path to get there or, or a major part of the path is what I call a balanced media diet, where you have different sources. Because yeah, if left to our own, we will often tend to sort of drop into these chambers where there's sort of confirmation bias and we just listen to the source that we want and we listen to it again and again. And we were, you know, there's this part of us you know, part of human nature, part of being a man, probably being a woman as well, um, where we want to be right and we want to have a tribe and we want to belong to that tribe and we don't want to think thoughts that are not part of that tribe. I mean, it, it's an evolutionary thing. You know, there was a period where we were hunter-gatherers and if your views were totally not the same as everybody else, when food got scarce, you might have been left behind. You know, like it's a very, it's called the social instinct and the Enneagram thing, we get into that. There's a lot of ways that it's talked about, but yeah, there's a very clear drive to be part of the tribe, to not stand out, to not have different thoughts. On the other hand, there's a countervailing force, and there's several parts of it to to want to know the truth. There's a real drive to know the truth. And that, you know, in the tribe, that might have been the shaman that was like gonna go out into the wilderness to fill, figure out the truth and might come back with ideas that everybody disagreed with, but you have to have somebody or maybe people that were willing to do that because there was more to learn. Maybe there was a different way to grow your crops, or maybe there was a different way to, to hunt or, or whatever it was, right? So in addition to that, we also have this drive to that's a little bit more modern, which is we get upset when we think things are being hidden from us. Mm. We want to find out things that are censored. Um, so because of that, I try to sort of come up with this idea of media consciousness and the balanced media diet to address this, right? We, we don't want to just land in this chamber of confirmation bias where we're just hearing the same thing over and over again, because that satisfies a particular part of our sort of tribal need. 
Um, I want to more stoke the other side. I want to stoke the side that like is driven to, to develop our own mind, to think for ourselves. And this is a more modern, I call this an idea of the enlightenment is that we're all individuals and we all have individual minds. And by, by triggering that and by really focusing on that and accentuating and building up that our own drive for truth and our own drive to be angry at being censored, angry at being the truth being concealed from us allows us to start to read more broadly and and to think more broadly and to think more deeply and to have a more open mind about things and i think in that perspective from that place um it's much it's much more difficult to divide us right now we're being divided into this red and these red and blue tribes but most people aren't really don't fit into either of those tribes most people have a divergent set of political beliefs some of which would fit in with the republicans some would fit in the democrats whatever and by by continuing to to develop our minds to think about this, um, that is a big part of the path to media consciousness, I believe. Mm. Uh, I, random question that just popped into my head. Sure. In, in all of this research, I wonder: Have you identified different archetypes for media diets? Because uh, I was thinking, I know some people who I would call the head in the Sanders, like the people who are like, ah la 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 la, don't tell me anything, I don't want to hear it, and then the obsessives who just and then the the people who get overly like uh, chicken littles, right? They read a little bit and all of a sudden the sky is falling and we're all doomed. Do you, have you seen these archetypes and laid them out? I, li I like that. I like that idea. Not exactly. What I have done is so in the media diet that I propose. So I, I basically researched hundreds of sources and I come up with this media diet in the book. It's sort of towards the end, chapter 13. It's the media diet. And there's 40 sources and there's sort of here's what, you know, different set of sources each day. And there's I have three. Actually, there's four levels of the diet. So there's what I call, um, I'm going to forget the names right now. They're in my book. I, I should know them. But there's basically like the basic level, which is 30 minutes a day. And then there's, um, and there's two sources per day. So you kind of read two sources, two different sources each day for 30 minutes. Then there's the, um, I think I call it the journalist and that's an hour a day. And so there's two more sources and you spend an hour a day. Then there's, I, I call the media expert or the professor, which is two hours a day. If you really want it. And there's, you know, a bunch more sources. And then I have the media fast, which is 30 minutes a week. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> you know, you pick two sources for the whole week. Just read because I know sometimes, you know, people do want to unplug, you know, and you do want to just sort of not, I'm, I'm not going to, but I, I, I encourage people not to do that in the sense of like, I can opt out you know, either because I'm so smart, I see through the media narratives or because I just like don't inhale, you know, and it doesn't affect me. And I think both of those are fallacies. I don't think either of those are true. No, none of us, I, I spent a whole chapter on the history of propaganda. It's extremely sophisticated. It's even more sophisticated now with the social media algor algorithms. I'm a smart guy. I spent three years writing this book and researching it. And I know that this stuff still affects me for mm -hmm. sure. Right. So we can't opt out um, and we can't, you know, outthink it. But we can unplug, you know, we can sort of remove ourselves at, for periods of time, which can be healthy. So I don't actually have those archetypes, although I like them, but I do have these sort of four kind of levels of engagement that I acknowledge and that I, you know, think are, are good. Yeah. Something fun to think about. Uh, yeah. I want to circle back to something you mentioned in the beginning. I just, we were on such a nice roll. I couldn't help but just keep pushing it down the road. But you, you mentioned absolute truth which I think is a really important thing to be in conversation about with people. Before I say anything, what, what is your ideas about absolute truths and, and maybe even the words facts? Yeah, great question. 
I've spent a lot of time thinking about this actually. Um, so I would start with, I don't know if you've done any investigations into spiral dynamics. So spiral dynamics, it's this idea of um, sort of the evolutionary, the evolution of wisdom, the evolution of thinking, sort of modalities of thinking. And so, so there's these sort of, they have colors. So as you sort of move through like the red way of thinking, and then you kind of evolve a little bit into the blue way of thinking. And then there's the green way of thinking, but the idea is it's a spiral. So it's not like you just sort of get better. You sort of come back and you spiral back, but you're sort of thinking about things in a different way. So to, without getting into spiral dynamics a ton, but there's a lot of the people that write and read about this stuff. So that we're kind of as a species, or at least as the United States, we're kind of caught between two of these types of thinking but basically that there is that there is truth and there is one set of things that are definitely true and there are there's another set of things that are definitely false postmodern thinking is sort of moving to this idea of like you know shakespeare said you know anything is a rose or by any other name a rose would smell as sweet basically this idea that it's just our thinking about something like the way our brain works makes something into something so i'm holding this glass of water but if I decide to call it something different, it could be, you know, a dog. And if we both agreed that this was a dog, then it's a dog. It's just because we've agreed that it's a glass of water that's a glass of water. Right. And so, and and some of the one of the reasons that postmodern thinking has taken hold is because we had all of these ways that we thought were true, but they turned out to be really like sort of ugly ways of thinking that were like colonialist and racist and all this sort of stuff. So a lot of the political sort of infiltrated, in a sense, this way of thinking about reality. Mm. So now there's this sort of sense that we're moving, the spiral is sort of spinning back and that this is my personal perspective we're getting into now. And we kind of went, have gone too far into postmodern thinking and we have to spiral back to a sense that, that there is absolute truth and that there is something that's a glass of water and there's nothing else that's a glass of water. And if this is a glass of water, it can hold a certain amount of water. You can't put the whole ocean in this glass of water. That's absolutely true, but it can definitely hold, you know, a teaspoon full of water. Def, like those things are, they're absolutely true truths. <laughs> it's useful to have that, hmm. right? So without getting, you know, we could get into all the philosophy of it, but I, yes. Yeah, so part of the reason I wrote the book, Red, White, and Blind, is because I do think that there is absolute truth. Um, even though there's a lot of relativity and there's a lot of ways that we think that we know things that we don't, and it's just our own perspective and we have biases and we have all of that. That's very true. Also true. <laughs> but um but yes, so I think we've gone a little bit far in the direction. And that's, I think, that movie, like, What is a Woman? And you asked me, what is a man? We've maybe gone a little bit too far in the direction of, like, men and women, that they're, they, they just mean whatever we want them to mean. Like, mm -hmm. no, I think they have real meanings. Like, men and women are different. There's a reason that there's two genders, there's two sexes in, in our species. Mm -hmm. We're not just exactly the same. Um, and if we try to make ourselves exactly the same, I think it causes just suffering. And I think it's, it's part of the reason that we're suffering is that now it wasn't, it wasn't perfect to say men go out and work and women stay home. No, that had a huge number of problems. And it was, there was, there is sexism and there was, and it's worse and we need to continue to, to, to fight it and make it better. But I think that we have gone too far in that direction. And so it's, you know, how far exactly I have to still wrestle with that. I'm still trying to think it all through. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. Which is a really unpopular conversation to have, right? I mean, uh, I've had, I mentioned to you, Sean Barry, before we got on the show, a long time ago, he came on here and we had an episode and we were talking about just the biological data that we have, the, the years and years of evolutionary biology that has created two different 
two distinctly different genders, biologically speaking, and that there are certain qualities that tend to be associated with these genders that obviously in this day and age where there's almost a limitless amount of gender designations, there's certain biological components that are built in to the way that we're born onto this planet. For example, male gendered born people who are born male tend to have bigger phys- more physically uh capable bodies right for doing for for strength and for moving things and for hunting based on our ancestry right it's not to say that with modern technology that a woman or somebody born female couldn't do those things but there's certain things that we're oriented towards based on how we're born and i'm in the i'm in the same boat as you where I, i'm not sure exactly where I stand on that. Cause I do think that there's, there's a benefit to taking our biological functions that we have and optimizing for them. Cause that's, that's what we're here to do. But then at the same time, why shouldn't somebody have full authority and autonomy over themselves to decide how they want to express themselves on this planet, which I, I think kind of is the fundamental, the, uh, the fundamental debate that people have around that is, well, if we get too fixated on these people are this way and do this thing, then it doesn't allow for creativity and uniqueness of people to express themselves the way they want to. And they talk, that, that becomes a conversation of freedom, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, th- I think one of the ways that I try to look at it is that there are truths and then there are variations, right? So, you know, if, if you try to say all women or all men are like this, you're going to run into, you know, it's, Almost nothing is going to be true if you start the sentence with all men or all women, right? Yeah. But but that doesn't mean that it's not useful to make generalizations and to observe them. That's why we have science. That's why, I mean, in a certain sense, technology is constantly coming along and destabilizing what was a stable or a relatively stable system. And some people would say the plow, the invention of the plow destabilized the distribution of the sexes because once you had technology where women didn't, you didn't need as much upper body strength to be able to plant a field, women could start to do it. And that sort of led to what ended up becoming, you know, you'd probably say in the 19, early 1900s, like the suffragette movement and the whole thing. Mm. Right. And so, and, and I, my book is not really about that, but my book is about distribution of information. And so, you know, the movable type printing press that came along in the 1400s, dramatically changed the power structures in the Western world because it went from where knowledge, information, the ability to read and write was pretty much held by a small number of people, the monks and the, you know, feudal, few feudal lords and like, you know, the bishops and the Catholic church to suddenly there went from a few thousand books in Europe to millions because suddenly it was cheaper and easier. And then anybody could get a book. Pretty soon people could read, pretty soon people could write, pretty soon people were publishing their own books. Within within less than a hundred years, it toppled the entire power structure. It 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 led to the Enlightenment. It led to literally the the founding of what we call science and what we call democracy and basically the bed, the bedrock of Western civilization. That completely changed. And so I'm in my book. I, I'm calling what we're going through right now the new Enlightenment. It's a second Enlightenment, and it's being brought about by the internet. The internet is doing almost the same thing, and in just a whole different way that the printing press did. Suddenly now we're, we're going from a top-down distribution of information about what's going on in the world through the mainstream media into a, into a peer-to-peer distributed decentralized version. Like the fact you and I are having this conversation right now and you can upload it. Maybe there's people watching now or you can upload it 
and it might be found by a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion people, right? And suddenly these ideas that we're having, nobody's intermediating it. There's no Catholic church calling us heretics. And today I, I use the word conspiracy theorist or like there's a number of terms that are used like heretics were before um, calling you or there's all these labels out there now, right? It's like alt-right or like radical left or conspiracy theorists. But if you just upload this and people watch it, there's nobody that gets to come in and say, look at these two conspiracy theorists or look at these two heretics or these two blasphemers. We're having a conversation. You can decide for yourself, you know, what's going on here, right? Mm. So this is this is flat, this is birthing a new consciousness on earth. This is the internet. We still don't know what's going to happen. We're in the early phases of it, but it's like we're in this new consciousness. And so we're we're still figuring out what it means, but it's it's toppling. Right now, it's toppling the dominance of, you know, the ABCs and CNNs and NPRs. And, and more than that, like the distribution of information through like the, the big pharmaceutical corporations get to tell us like what we have to put in our body and like the weapons manufacturers get to tell us when we have to have a war. Like those things are about to be toppled, too. It's all sort of it's in process. And mm. I'm optimistic that it's going in a good direction, although I have my moments. <laughs> um, so that was a long answer to your short question, but yeah, that's where I see it going. Well, I, I love it. It brings, it brings up another question for me, a curiosity really, because your example of us having this conversation, we can upload it. I, I would say that you and I both have authority in this conversation. I, I have authority over what I say. You have authority over what you say. We're obviously having a respectful dialogue. So we're making room for things we agree on or things we might not agree on. But then I thought about, well, when I do upload this and we put it on YouTube and on iTunes and all the other places we publish it, there's comments, <laughs> right? So there, there's people who come in and they make these these comments or assessments about our thoughts and beliefs that neither of us have given them authority to but they have permission because free speech, right? And then taking it a step further, you look at social media where somebody can take our conversation and maybe they'll take this part, right? That they can take our conversation and they can put it into a Instagram reel or a YouTube short and they can put their own writing on it. So they can tell their own story about it. Say, look at these two crazy guys talking about the media diet, blah, 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 blah. And immediately they have colored our, our conversation without our permission, right? So it, it's, it is, it's, it, yes, we have authority and freedom to do that. And at the same time, the, I guess the way that we exercise freedom of speech is becoming really, it's really fascinating. I, I don't quite know where I land with that. Um, so I would say in that example, um, that's the conversation and that's, that's, that's good. You know, if, if they, they upload it, you know, obviously it's not good. To, it's, it's not ethically good to say really nasty things about people, but it's legal and it should be part of the conversation. You know, so if, if, yeah, if somebody wants to like take this little clip where like Tony said that thing about, you know, women and men not being the same or whatever I've said, so far, you're controversial or yeah. And, and uploads it like, look at this, you know, crazy guy. And, and they use like whatever smears about me, they see fit. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to enjoy being called names, especially if it's inaccurate, but it's part of the conversation, right? It's part of the conversation. It goes, it goes up there and it would be the same for you. Now there's some exceptions. We we've, you know, we've come to some exceptions over the last, you know, two, 300 years of having this free speech thing in our constitution where you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. So that's sort of by extension, you can't, it's not legal free speech, protected speech to say, uh, to directly incite violence, to say something that would directly, not just like, 
I think someday maybe that person should, you know, would benefit from a black eye or something like that. No, like let's go all at, you know, at 10 PM tonight, we're all going to go grab our axes and hack down Tony's door. Like you can't say that stuff on, on social media that they'll, that that's not legal. Um, if it's going to directly lead to violence and there's reason to believe. And then the, and the other thing you can't, you can't do defamation. You can't like directly intentionally say unfall untrue things about people that you know are false with the intention to harm them. Mm. Uh, that's defamation. So, so, you know, so there's a couple of exceptions, but yeah. So but when I said it's not disintermediate, it's not intermediated, meaning it's not like we're sitting here and there's somebody from, you know, the Catholic church or CNN who's sitting here asking you a question and then deciding whether I get to answer it. And then when I answer it, deciding whether you get to hear my answer. Right. And like, it's not that sort of Chinese telephone to use, like probably not a PC term anymore. There's nobody in the middle that's saying what gets to happen. We get to have this conversation and then it gets uploaded. Now, what happens to the conversation when, once it gets uploaded? Yeah, is that's that is free speech. That's people having their own opinion about it. And maybe we learn something. Maybe they're like, oh, you know, Tony, he didn't even think about, you know, da 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 because he brought up spiral dynamics and he wasn't aware of this other thing or, or he got it wrong about spiral dynamics which i might have because i was summarizing it you know that's part of the conversation that's good that might even be helpful for the next person that comes along so yeah yeah so i talk in red white and blind i really get into free speech and i, I think it's the censorship that that we're seeing on social media and to some extent in the mainstream media too i call maybe the greatest risk definitely one of the biggest risks to our current system of democracy and science. You, you can't have democracy where there's censorship and, and you can't have science either, really, because innovation always comes from the edges, right? You don't have, new ideas come from the edges. So censorship is going to be generally wielded by the people in power. And the people in power often don't want new technology and new innovation and new things because it might destabilize their power. It might cause them to have, be less wealthy and powerful than they were before. Mm. So you have to allow the ideas and the innovation on the edges to percolate. Some of it will be distasteful. Some people are going to say things that you think are really, really wrong, disgusting, even, you know, super lousy things. But, and it's not that that's good that they're saying awful things. It's that if you tried to get rid of the awful things, you have to come up with some group of people that gets to decide what's awful and what's not. And that group then becomes the people in power and they're going to become corrupt. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I feel pretty strongly about that, about free speech. We need to protect it and take it very seriously. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying, Tony. And, and there's one more piece that I want to pull in here to just kind of bring all this together. Um, you're you're authoring your second book. Uh, you're a published author already, and you will be again very shortly here. And in the word authority, I always look for that root word author. Uh, there's a great quote that I love that whenever you're writing the story of your own life, never let another person hold the pen. And I think that's one piece that we've we've alluded to, but haven't spoken about clearly. I think there's too often we, I'll speak for myself, I grew up in this world, not realizing where I was giving other people authority to influence how I saw myself and influence the way that I see myself as part of this world and even the way that I see the world. And I think that's such a huge part, obviously in the scope of what I'm interested in here in Rising Man is just part of that really maturing into adulthood or maturing to an age where now I can be responsible for others a big part of it is claiming full authority for myself, for the story I'm I'm telling about myself in my own life. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm arrogant and I don't let, ever let new information in, but that I'm always responsible for what's being filtered in and what's being filtered out. 
of that. So just with everything we've spoken about so far with the extrinsic influences and how they can seep in into our brains, is there anything else that you would say about how, especially young people in this world, identifying where we're being influenced and how to reclaim that authority for ourselves? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I, I think that is the real essence of what what I'm talking about with Red and White and Blind and what I'm trying to do in the book is to establish for each of us the freedom to explore the world on our own, to define our hopes and dreams and fears and wishes for ourselves rather than that they be defined for us through narratives that are created by you know establishment people that have very different interests from ours they don't even often let us know what those interests are you have to sort of triangulate it and you can learn to triangulate that um so yeah i would say that embarking on that journey is a let's let's go there it's one way of becoming a man in a, in the united states it's a way of becoming an adult in the united states in 2022 is realizing you know it was kind of hard. I don't know if you grew up with like a Santa Claus story, um, but this idea that there's a guy who comes on a sled with reindeer and brings all the children in the world gifts. What a lovely idea. Like, I, I wish I had never had to learn that that was not true, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not true. Um, corn's not around. I can say it out loud. <laughs> it's not true. There isn't, there isn't a elf making us all toys at the North Pole, um, although it'd be lovely to think that there is. And, and, and realizing that was part of growing up. It was part of coming to terms with, with reality, is that that's not happening. It doesn't mean we can't tell that story to others or that we couldn't you know, go make toys for each other and give them to each other. But there's no Santa Claus. And so by the same token, I would say growing up, becoming a man, becoming a woman, becoming an adult, is coming to the terms that, that there is no objective professional fair journalism. There's no objective version of the story. Mm. What there is, is there is a number of people with different versions of the story. There's an inherent need and interest that we would know what's going on in our world so that we can be good fathers and good mothers and good family members, good professionals in our trade. It's good to know what's actually going on in the world, but it takes some doing. There is no Santa Claus. There is no one source. So by embarking on this journey towards what I call media consciousness and embarking on this journey to use a balanced media diet or to to think about things more broadly and to trust your own brain, your own mind, your own acuity to develop, um, that we can become more realized, more happy, more healthy human beings. Mm. I love that, man. What a what a way to seal the bow on that conversation and we, we could put the bookmark slide it into the to the book i'd love to pick up the conversation with you further down the road but i think this was a great a great thought-provoking dialogue to introduce to the community so thanks for bringing that here to the space and giving us your time i um i have a few lightning round questions i want to ask you before okay. i cut you loose yes. you ready you ready for it sure all right what is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18. 18. um I wish I had been a little more confident. Girls liked me and I didn't realize it. There you go. Okay. <laughs> what do you what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Hmm. 
strength. And what does the world need most from men right now? Courage. The, the ability to stand in a difficult spot and not fall over. I yeah. love that, man. Last but not least, where can people go and order their copy of Red, White, and Blind? In case that this is published before the actual published date, is there a pre-order site or any place we can go check it out? There is. Um, all of that will be uh, on my website. My main site is TonyBersunas.com. And if you don't want to spell my last name, you can also go to RedWhiteAndBlind.com. Red, White, and Blind. That's probably easier to remember. I also have balancedmediadiet.com, which will eventually, it's not there yet, we'll, ha we'll have a whole like user-friendly way to create your own balanced media diet and all of that. So that's an exciting project that's uh, that's coming down the pike. But yeah, I would say remember redwine.com. I'm also on social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook mostly. Um, both are Tony Bersunas. And um, YouTube channel is Red, White, and Blind. So Gotcha. But if I want to catch you on social media, it's only for like 30 minutes a day, right? <laughs> that's right yeah and and it might be i might be censored so you know between now and between now and then you know if i'm not there go to that's why yeah i know i, I do i actually do push my website first because i will be in control of redwhiteandblind.com and tonybersunas.com even if uh the other ones fall away wonderful tony uh well hey man best of luck i'm super excited to dig into your book i i really respect you and admire you for your commitment to curiosity and to sharing possibilities with your community. That's one thing for, for just to give you a little bit of love for a second. I really respect the way that you integrate and synthesize information and set people up to make a decision for themselves. If every one of us did that with everyone who's intelligent and has some source of wisdom and, and to distribute it to people who are hungry for it and, and empowered them to decide for themselves what they believe to be true, I think the whole world would look different. So I really see you as that genuinely. I really see you as that and um, honored to know you. Shady, thanks so much. I'm really honored to be here and um, you're an inspiration to me as well. And I, I love what you're doing here with Rising Man. Just keep it up. You're, uh, you're an inspiration to so many. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it, man. Uh, well, go give your beautiful family, uh, family, your family a big hug <laughs> from me. And uh, cool. We'll pick it up further down the road, maybe when you're ready to announce your balanced media diet uh, project that you have. Great. Thanks, Jenny. We'd love to come back. Yeah, absolutely. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For all things Rising Man, make sure you swing over to risingman.org. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big ups to everyone out there supporting the movement, listening in every week, spreading the good word and getting more and more men involved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.